and you are live. Thank you, Nancy, and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. It's the 12th of May, 2018, and I'm your host, Jan Moore, known as The Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, and my mission on the Cosmic Creating Show is to bring you inspiring and informative guests to share their message and magic on the subjects of cosmic creation, spirituality, metaphysics, manifestation, conscious evolution, conscious living, and more to help you create your cosmic reality in alignment with your passion and purpose. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome my special guest, Elena Skyhawk. And Elena is a shaman's touch healing master teacher, a Reiki master teacher, and Laho Chi practitioner teacher. Wow. Elena studied for several years with Serge Running Wolf Martel, a shaman of Mohawk Hawaiian heritage. She trained to become a shaman's touch master teacher and became a minister in Golden Eagle Ministries. Elena has, be- has become a minister through the International Metaphysical Ministry and also holds a doctoral degree in metaphysical sciences through the University of Sedona. And she's working on the first of several shamanic books where she'll be sharing the teachings she was given by Serge Running Wolf Martel, as well as writing the book of her life, Transformational Awakening, A Shaman's Journey to Ascension. So, Elena, I'm so happy to welcome you here. And I know we're going to have a wonderful conversation because there's so much, I think, that we've got to talk about. So, Elena, welcome. Thank you, Jan. It's an honor to be here. Excellent. And and so good to have you as well. And so I really want to start, as I usually do, in really getting some history of how you came to be doing what you're doing. And, you know, you've gone through so much training. Um, share some of your journey, would you? Um, and we can diverge off to the topics of, of each of your the stages in your journey as they crop up? Well, um, I'm, I'm one of those very few uh, my, my story started really strange in this lifetime, and I was one of the children that was uh, stolen and sold off of an Indian reservation as an infant. And so the heritage that I carry in my blood comes from that, although I didn't find that out until many years later um, when I realized I could see things and hear things that I thought everybody could hear and see and found out they couldn't. So I tried to be normal, um, you know, tried to follow the path that I was thought I was, should be following, and I went to school. I be, went to school to become a veterinarian, of all things. And eventually ended up uh, getting a, an accounting degree and then a business degree. And it was like in my 20s that I realized things just weren't right. I mean, it, <laughs> so, so it's like because I could still hear things and see things. And so I went to my very first psychic at, you know, in my later 20s. And it opened up a whole world to me that finally started to make sense so that must have been a, an extremely traumatic childhood being put in that position were you were you um adopted by a, a white family what was the what was the family background that you were put into 
Well, I was I technically, from what I've been able to figure out, I was never legally adopted. Um, I don't know if there was some kind of technicality that you can't adopt stolen children. I'm not sure, but there was no court papers showing that I was legally adopted by them. Um, but I did grow up in a white family, and they just did not understand, and it didn't make any sense to them. And they were also prejudiced against people of color. So, so it made made it really which seems it, rather ironic <laughs> to think that they've taken in a a child a Native American and what what was do you know the tribe that you were from? Not technically, I've I've been given information through spirit, um, and when I kind of later in life confronted my mom about it, she was like, "Yeah, and there's another tribe that you belong to too." <laughs> so it's ah. like. So I have a feeling she knew. Unfortunately, I, both of them are have passed away, and there is no record now for for me to trace back unless I get it through um, visions or dreams or you know something like that. Because there is no written record anywhere of where I really came from. And how do you feel about that, Elena? Um, it's created some issues in my life that I've had to. Um, reconcile because as one of the up-and-coming spiritual leaders on the Pine Ridge Reservation which is it's so funny Indians know the other Indians and they're like you do know you're Indian and you do know you're Lakota right and I'm like uh well how do you know that and they're like we can tell by looking at you and I'm like oh okay (laughs) so so it's interesting how they know who who's Indian and who's not but he he had told me that um, I, you know, even though I had suffered all this other abuse at the hands of my adoptive parents, you know, the physical and emotional, mental, and all that stuff, that he said the worst type of child abuse that you can actually suffer is to be have your identity taken from you. Mm, yes, because he said you technically you're not technically white. Because you're not, but then again, you're also not native because you didn't grow up on the reservation. So I kind of fall in between the cracks there, which a lot of natives do because we don't know where we came from. Right. So you didn't actually get the opportunity to be immersed in the culture. Right. Exactly. So have you... Have you explored that since then? Have you, um, you know, being told that you're Lakota, which is interesting because I've had, I've got lots of connections from Lakota tribes, so that's interesting. But you know, have you taken the the steps to actually learn more about the culture? Oh yes, I did. I I've been following the the, the Lakota way pretty much ever since. Um, probably about. 2000 when I met Serge um, because he helped me get more information about myself and where I came from and it's one of the things I learned I, you know I made sure I went up to South Dakota several times to live up there and get to know the people get to um, know the the mindset and learn the different the Lakota way and learn about Black Elk and his teachings and to really understand what that culture means and especially from a spiritual perspective because the Lakota 
or the Sioux Nation is considered one of the more spiritually advanced of the of most of the Indian nations. And so that's what I was told by the spiritual leader on Pine Ridge. He said, as long as you follow the Lakota way, we know you're one of us. So just keep keep teaching and following that. So that's what I do. Yes, and I mean it's a, such a tragic history of the the Sioux Nation, isn't it? I've I've you know studied some of it myself because I have a you know feel a real connection with the Native American. I was apparently Native American in a previous life, so I'm not sure what tribe, but uh, but yeah, there's a lot of tragic history there as well. Yes, there, and it wasn't just the, the Lakota or the Sioux. Um, the people that were responsible for stealing me were actually finally caught in New Mexico in the 70s. And it was a group of nine people. Um, They were doctors and lawyers and nurses, and they were stealing the children and and selling them for like $15,000 to $20,000 a piece. And they finally got caught in New Mexico. uh, And I think pretty much all of them went, went to prison for what they did. Mm, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of disclosure coming out now, so much more about child trafficking. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's it's happened particularly of um, Indigenous. It's happened in Canada, hasn't it? It's happened in Australia, I believe. So a lot of this is now coming to light so that this can be really addressed on a permanent basis. Yeah, it is, and it, it's it's part of bringing the light onto the planet that that which is from the dark, which is basically when you're stealing children, um, that that cannot be tolerated on this planet as it starts to ascend. So all of those that were involved in that, all of that darkness is going to start coming to light, and it's going to be healed. Mm, and it is doing so much more. We're seeing it, you know, day to day almost. Not only, you know, the the mistreatment of children, but also, you know, in terms of other sexual abuse and so on, even with, with women and, you know, the Me Too campaign and everything. So it's, you know, in some cases it's distressing to see it. But on the other hand, when you realize that, this has to come into the open to be healed. You realize what major strides are being made in terms of addressing this. Absolutely. And, and it's time. It's like we should not have to, to put up with what has been done to us. I mean, on a, on a grander scale, we agreed to it um, because mm. our, our spirits were powerful enough that we could handle it. And, and that's one of the things, <laughs> sir, Surge kind of brought up with me because I was so angry about what my parents had done. And he stopped me in my tracks one day. I mean, literally, it just changed my whole world because he said, you know, that's a very powerful eagle that it's all about you. He said, did you ever stop to think that you were put in that family to teach them a lesson? Yeah, absolutely. And oh, got a shiver then. And I, you know, I've also learned that it is it is the most evolved and the strongest souls that get put into that situation in order to bring to influence and to, you know, have the opportunity to heal that weak souls don't don't take on those kind of challenges. (laughs) 
No, they they don't. And it also what it it did was the fact that it it literally by being taken out of the so-called Indian nation and put into a white family, what I am is a bridge between the two. So I have the education that a lot of Indians back then didn't get. And I have a lot more knowledge and a, and a I've seen a lot more than I would have if I had just been raised on the reservation. Mm, yes. And, you know, going, going back to what we were saying before, it seemed ironic, particularly when you say how much people were paying to have ch- these stolen children, that the family that you were, were in were put into or taken into, you know, very often adoptive families tend to be overly um, nurturing because, you know, they're given a gift that they wouldn't otherwise have had. What do you, th- what do you think was behind the, the way that you were treated? Because, you know, were you the only child in that family? No, they actually had, uh, legally adopted two um, boys. One one was older than me, and my, and the other one is younger. Um, they were legally adopted, so you know they have court papers, and we know what their names were before. We know who their parents were, and my older brother um, actually had seven brothers and sisters. He was taken away by the state because his parents couldn't take care of the seven kids that they already had and had been told don't have any more and they did and so, were they and were, were your brothers native american or are no. your brothers native american okay or at least my older brother i know he i think he was he might have been irish i don't know it's kind of hard to tell because they never had of course um what do you call it um dna dna tests done my old, my younger brother, I'm not sure, because he does have the darker hair and the darker skin. So he could be Italian, he could be Native, I don't know. But he did have, he was legally adopted, and his mother gave him up at birth because she was in college. And it was more important for her to finish school than it was to have, try to raise a kid. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So, um Tell me more. Tell us more. It's not just me. I always forget that we've got listeners, you know. Uh, tell us more about your experience learn, studying with, with Serge Running Wolf Martel. What, at what point was did you start uh, training with him? Well, it was shortly after I had moved to Arizona. Um, I had been in Nevada for 10 years, and, and that's where I had per- – first met my uh, first spiritual teacher and she she was also part Hawaiian so I was starting to learn some of the Hawaiian um, stuff then and she trained me on how to do tarot card readings and and uh, past life regressions and stuff like that and then I was introduced to the owner of this uh, spiritual center that she worked in and I learned out the hard way I could do psychometry but it wasn't until I moved to Arizona in 99, uh, and that was that was a whole different trippy situation, too, on what made me move there. Uh, but I met Serge in 2000, and I had started, I was working at a metaphysical bookstore in Scottsdale, and I started 
sending people to a piece of the universe. And I had no idea what a piece of the universe was. And I didn't do it to just everybody. It was just certain people. I'm like, you need to go up to a piece of the universe. And I didn't go myself because, I, again, I didn't have any idea what it was. And a friend of mine had gone to a um, psychic fair that Borders was holding uh, out in Phoenix. And she walked in and she saw him sitting at the, the uh, psychic fair. And she comes running into the store. Oh, my God, we got to go to the spiritual fair. We got to go. We got to go. There's a shaman there that you just have to meet. And da da da. And I'm like, well, I can't open this. I can't close the store that fast to get over there. So it'll have to wait until tomorrow. So the Sunday we went up there. And, of course, he had just left. So I missed him. And she decided she wanted a reading. And I, I knew what she was going to be talking about. So I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to listen to this. So I kind of walked down in the music department, which is where they were holding the psychic fair, and just sat down waiting for her to finish her reading. <laughs> and toward the end of the, her reading, all of a sudden it was like somebody put a megaphone to my ear very loudly, and I heard, his name is Serge Running Wolf Martell. He works at a piece of the universe on Wednesdays from 11 to 7. <laughs> Bit of and, a clear direction there then. <laughs> I know. And I just kind of looked around. I was like, say, what? I'm like, who said that? Where'd that come? And I, the lady that was sitting across from me, I said, did you hear that? And she's looking at me like, hear what? And I'm like, uh-oh. And, and so then it was just quiet again. And it, and I happened to look down to see if my friend was ready to go and that she was starting to gather her stuff. And all of a sudden, that megaphone was there again. I said he works at a piece of the universe on Wednesdays from 11 to 7. And I was like, okie dokie. And, and so I got up and went to meet her. And she goes, oh, yeah, that shaman. I said, yeah, his name is Serge Martel. <laughs> and he works at a piece of the universe on Wednesdays. And she looked at me. She goes, how do you know that? And I'm like, um... A megaphone in my ear. <laughs> so needless to say, that Wednesday, the following Wednesday, we were up at a piece of the universe uh, while he was there. And, I mean, it got to be a, a huge joke because he's like, man, how long? He, he's like, you don't listen very well. I've been telling you and putting the vibes out there that you need to come up here. And all these other people were coming, but there was no you. <laughs> So he had seen me, it turns out, in Vision Quest while I was you know, working there and was putting out the vibes very strongly that I was to work for him. And that's one of the things you learn that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm. But you have no idea how he's going to or she is going to show up. Or who and it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that was his way of showing up to get me to go up to a piece in the universe. And I ended up, you know, working with him, but I also ended up working at a piece of the universe as a reader for like the next couple years. So that's how we, you know, we, we kind of joke about it because it was like, seriously, you sent all these other people up and we're very grateful for that. But <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how I met him. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Absolutely. So, you trained with him to become a shaman's touch master teacher. Could you explain that? Well, he did, he um, when I first met him, he was putting to, he was doing um, 
every Tuesday night he would have uh, shamanic classes out at his house. And I, you know, he had suggested I start going, going to them and, um, which I did. And I, as we were talking through a lot of this stuff and we were discussing some stuff and he had mentioned that he was trying to put shaman's touch, or at that time he was calling it shamanic touch and together. And he wanted to start teaching it and, uh, turning it into a certification so just like you do with Reiki, you go through several different sessions to become a Reiki master. You know, so you go through Reiki one, two, and then three and become a master. He was trying to set set Shaman's Touch up the same way. And so we got together and we started talking about it. And basically what it includes is a lot of learning how to read a person's aura um, how to go out in nature and create sacred sacred space so that when you go on a hike or a walk or do anything, you actually set up the sacred space first and then walk through it so that everything that you see once you go through, you know is coming from a higher higher source. And then when you're finished with your walk, you walk through the portal that you opened and then close it back down. Um, he also taught how to to be able to talk to a tree's or a chakra because trees do have a chakra. They only have one and there's moves up and down the trunk. So, you know, he, we would teach people and that's part of what you learn in shaman's touch is that you don't just go up and walk up to a tree and hug it. You actually have to ask permission of the tree because some trees don't like to be touched. That's uh, so interesting. You should say yeah. that because um, I've told this story on, on other uh, shows actually about how I was in Muir Woods um, back in 2010 and I was in a grove of trees and I'd learned that the trees actually reproduce um, through the root system, not not from the seeds because the seeds don't germinate in the type of so- soil that's um, that they land on. And I actually felt this real sadness because one of the trees had fallen and had died. But <laughs> when I suggested that people, um, you know, hug a tree to, to release some of the negative energy, you know, I don't, I don't know where I got it from, but it was, but remember to ask permission <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because yep. they are sentient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are some, I mean, most trees will will say, yes, please, I could use a hug. But there are some that they don't want you to touch them. So it, it's very, it, it's just like a, if you think about it, it's like a human. Most humans don't like for somebody just to run up to you and give you a hug. Mm. You, you always have to ask permission. Is it okay if I give you a hug? Well, trees are the same way. And what happens with that chakra is if they give you permission and say, yes, it's okay to hug me, that chakra will move down to your heart center and so when you hug that tree, you're literally hugging the heart of the tree. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So it, so it's, it's fun, you know, and, and bushes and, and stuff like that are the same. You can feel the aura around a bush and you can also, you know, talk to, to rocks because they're all part of nature and they all have energy 
that you can get a lot of information from. But again, you have to be very um, conscious of like even picking up a rock and taking it with you because sometimes they don't want to go with you and you'll find that they jump out of your hands. Well, that's because you didn't ask permission of the rock to go home with you. Mm. That makes me feel really guilty because the one time I visited Sedona, which was when I was still living in the UK and I'd come over on a, um, for, a for a corporate-related conference and I took uh, a red rock home to England from Sedona so, and I didn't ask permission. So apologies to the <laughs> rock spirit. I really didn't realize at the time that that wasn't on. Yeah, that and, and that people find that out, especially if they try to do this from Hawaii. Um, if you take one of the rocks from um, Hawaii, Pele, who is the goddess of the volcanoes there, and she she will come after that people, and they find out the hard way. Oops! And they literally mail the rocks that they took back to Hawaii to have it replaced. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I've got a little collection of rocks on my the little altar I have in my bedroom. You know, it's kind of my sacred space. And it's interesting how certain rocks kind of jump out at you. And I've even got one which I think is um, a citrine crystal that I just found. And I can't even remember where I found it. But, you know, I, I seem to have this experience of things choosing me, like mm-hmm. feathers. I've got a, a quite a collection of feathers. And as I say, I've got these, I mean, it's not a big collection of rocks, but I kind of know whether I'm meant to keep a rock or not. <laughs> Well, and that's the rock communicating with you. So mm. if, it, if it's yours, you know, they, they will find you or they will draw you to them. And you know if they want to come home with you because they will. If you pick them up, you can kind of feel the energy. And then when you start walking away with it, if it doesn't jump out of your hand to get back onto the ground, then you know it is meant to come with you. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I had a... a um a black tourmaline crystal that I bought and it was it was uh wire wrapped and I lost it in fact it was on my way to I do the shows from my local library because the internet connection is really good it was actually on the way to the library and it's like where is it did it drop in the car I still haven't found it and I kind of feel as though it needed to be somewhere else mm-hmm. for some reason so where it is, yeah. I don't know, but I wish it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, things like that happen. I mean, it's like even, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because my older cat has done the same thing. I mean, <laughs> she, she's, would it, well, she'd be 12 years old now, but in, on January 21st, she just vanished out of my closet, and I haven't seen her since. And it's like, even for somebody who works in this type of, environment and you work with metaphysics and stuff like that you're like okay where'd my cat go (laughs) Mm. you know but she was needed elsewhere and who knows maybe someday she'll pop back in (laughs) but it's the same you just don't know no it's interesting you should say that because you know I've got a, a dog that 
came from the uh, local humane society. And she, I think, was a res dog, a reservation dog. She's absolute sweetheart. And um, it was kind of a weird way of, of getting her because I don't think I consciously chose her, but somehow it unfolded that she came home with us. And... Um, a guest that I had on the show a few weeks ago, Rebecca Flores, she mm -hmm. said that um, she has an element of my horse in her who oh, was wow. hugely influential in my life. I mean, he changed my life. He was a, you know, he was a soulmate. He had to be put to sleep in 2013. But, you know, he's kind of with me in spirit all the time. So I thought, well, that's interesting. Obviously, it, it was meant to be that, um, you know, she should be with me. And, um, you know, I've heard other stories of, I do follow a lot of, um, you know, I love, the animal communication side of things and I'm kind of working on improving that ability in myself. But, you know, these stories about how these animals are, you know, they're here to do a job for us in, from a spiritual point of view and they'll be with the people that they need to be with in order to play that role. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and when, she, when Merlin disappeared, um, she told me she was needed back on her home planet of Venus. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like whatever. So it's just like a portal opened up and she vanished. I mean, I'm like, how can a cat just disappear out of my closet? You know, there, <laughs> it was. <laughs> it, it's a bit like the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Maybe she <laughs> went out of the back of the closet into Narnia or something. <laughs> you, you just never know because it's, um, I had a freakier thing happen a few months before that. I was, again, here in my apartment and I had been in, in the kitchen getting something and I walked back out into the living room. Now, mind, it, it was only like maybe one or two minutes. But when I walked back out into the living room, there was a snake on my floor. Wow. And I was like, okay, where'd that snake come from? I'm like, it just appeared in the middle of my living room. And, and the kittens that I have were just sitting there staring at it like, what the, you know? And what kind of snake was it? Hopefully not a rattlesnake. Or... No, luck, luckily it was a garter snake. And... And so I, I picked it up and I put it outside, you know, still thinking like, where the did this thing come from? And I went to check on it later because it was like it was dead. And, and I went and checked on it later and it wasn't even there. Mm. So you just never know it. You know, some, sometimes spirit lets you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I seem to have mm. horrible portals in the house where things can come in and and leave but uh yeah merlin was like yep I, I you know my energy was needed back on my home planet so i had to go and i was like well gee thanks for not even saying goodbye <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it was an, a 911 call <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean I, I you know i do love when i'm walking my dog you know i really love um 
you know, being present in nature. I mean, um, a couple of days ago, I was walking and, and I didn't even, hadn't even looked down on the floor, um, on the ground. And suddenly a snake was obviously, you know, soaking up the sun on the trail. And, uh, it just, went across the trail into the trees and it's like, ah, oh, significant, the first snake of the season. And I, you know, I know some people are scared of snakes. I always had a fascination with snakes. And of course, being from the UK, you don't, there are some snakes, but not many at all. So it's quite a treat when I'm walking around to actually see these little, this was a racer snake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because when I was, um, my ex-husband and I, we got married on Malibu Beach in California in 2010. In fact, he proposed in Muir Woods, actually. Um, but we went for our honeymoon on a day trail ride um, in the Santa Monica Mountains. Um, and I set this intention. I want to see a rattlesnake in the wild. <laughs> Because, you know, um, this was the first year that I've been over here. So we're going along this trail and we're, we've got a, a leader leading us on this ride. And we're going along the trail and, and he stops. And ahead of us, in the middle of the trail, was a rattlesnake <laughs> in the sun. Oh. And we just stopped and we waited and he went off into the undergrowth and we carried on. And I said, oh, I'd like to see another one now. And everybody's going, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't manifest that. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's cool. Oh, so I've got a question for you from mm-hmm. from Dolly in the chat room. She said, about the snake, was it white and light beige with feathery type skin? No, it was a garter snake. Right. Yeah. I wonder why Dolly asked that question. Dolly, would you put that in the chat? <laughs> So I'll wait and see if Dolly replies to that. I wonder why she got the idea it was white and light beige. (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah. um, So let's go back to what you were learning with Serge. Tell me more. He taught, um, well, with, with Shaman's Touch, what it includes, not so not only do you become a Shaman's Touch master or master teacher, because there's like five five different levels, and after I had gotten through it all, I think I had gotten through four of the levels because I had already started the first teachers teacher level because there was three that you take, and it included Reiki. So um, we had gotten permission from um, uh, a Reiki master that had taught him a different a Teramai Reiki instead of the normal Yusui Reiki, and she had agreed to let us combine her um, Teramai with Shaman's Touch. So as people start going through the program, if they go through level one, they would become a Shaman's Touch Master Teacher and a Reiki Master, you know, and then level two, you would get certificates for both. And then if you chose after the third level, of the shaman's touch, you would already have all three levels, you know, for the uh, Teramai Reiki. But then if you decided to become a teacher, then you would be, go into uh, the shaman's touch where you would learn 
um, more intense things. You would learn how to do psychic surgery. You would learn how to do soul retrieval work. And you would learn how to work more with the crystals and, and music therapy and sound. You know, So you're learning how sound can affect our bodies and organs. And he would teach different meditations on how to actually go in and tap into each of your organs and to talk to the organs so that you can find out what is, and you learn how to scan the organ. And we learned how to um, do a shaman's blessing. So, it, you know, that. so when I got up to and finished all th three of the initial levels, he asked me if I would start writing the workbooks for him so he could get it out because he had become... Um, friends with one of the universities in Florida, in Clearwater, and they wanted to start teaching it there. So we started putting manuals together, and I started writing the manuals for him so that he could um, start teaching it at the university down in Clearwater, Florida. So one of the interesting things that's cropped up before is the term psychic surgery. Can you just explain what that is? Well, with psychic surgery, you, you basically have somebody laying on a, on a massage table, and we use, you know, we make sure that there's water underneath, um, usually the front part of the, the body, uh, so it's on the floor, because as you're working on somebody, you want to get rid of the energy that you're carrying, so you kind of like shake it off into the water. And then you have another bowl, because as you're, when you open up the chakra or the auric field around the uh, person, because that's basically, uh, there are some indigenous tribes that I've heard actually can, they physically do surgery and put, can put their hands in people and pull out things. I've personally never seen it happen, so I can't say for sure one way or another. But when you're doing psychic surgery, you're literally opening up the auric field and you're um, basically putting your hands in and feeling around for any dark energy, negative energy, anything that doesn't feel like it belongs there and pulling it out. And sometimes it actually feels like cords. I mean, you're literally just pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And it's, it's a, I did that with a dog when I was working on a dog once that had an inoperable brain tumor behind her eye. And I did shaman's touch healing on her. I did some Reiki on her. And then the final day, I actually, the spirit guided me to do some psychic surgery on her to see if we could pull, if I could pull out the energy of whatever had caused the tumor in the first place. And the, um, the people that owned the dog had been, they were going to have a vet school in Minnesota had offered to operate on the tumor to get it out if they could get it down far enough to make it. Because as it stood at that point when they contacted me, it was inoperable. They couldn't do anything because it was so dangerous on how big it was and where it was at. So they they asked if I could assist, and, you know, I worked on the dog for three days, and that, that third day when I did the psychic surgery and opened up her 
her aura and started pulling the energy out and clearing it. And what we you do in the meantime is also infuse the animal's um, energy field with certain stones that need, you know, you put rose quartz energy in there, you put whatever, you know, sometimes it's green adventuring. It, it depends on what the specific person or animal is looking for. And then when I was finished, the, you know, the, the energy of the stones will stay as long as they are needed and, and our, our work, and then they will just dissipate back into uh, the spiritual realm from where they came. But you close the auric field back up and you do more Reiki over it. And when they um, went back to the university to have more x-rays taken and they did an x-ray on her head to see if the tumor had shrunk at all, it was down to the size of a pea. And they were able to easily go in, operate, and take what was left out, and the dog is fine. Mm, Brilliant. so that's how powerful the energy and the intention can be. And, of course, when you're working with an animal, they don't get in in their own way. They're like, I need this healing. Please help me. And they accept the healing. The, uh, us humans, we have a tendency to get let our egos get in our way. <laughs> yeah, and, and not trust in the in the process. Exactly. And yeah. we're, we're an animal. They, they trust that you're going to... You know, they trust spirit and they they trust the people because an animal, again, can sense whether you are a being of light that is there to help them. Mm, Yes. So I've got a reply from Dolly about this snake. So I'm going to I'm (laughs) going to read that back to you. And and she also just before I do that, she was curious to know what university in Clearwater, because she graduated from a College of Metaphysical Studies out, uh, out of Clearwater. Oh, it's probably because the, there's only one there. Right. What's the name of it? Um, I always forget, and I don't know. If I, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, and I, the books are on the, on the other part of my house, so I can't even <laughs> reach the uh, not to worry, not to worry. Yeah. I just thought I'd ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll... Go on. There's only one uh, college, of Met- is it the College of Metaphysics? Or, um, it's in Clearwater, and as far as I know, it's the only college of metaphysics in Clearwater. Well, there's okay. actually only a couple, because there's the one in Clearwater, and then, of course, there's the one that I graduated from, which is in Arizona. So as Mm. far as I know, those are the only two metaphysical um, universities that there are. Okay, so it's probably the same one then. Yeah. Uh Yeah, okay. And um, what she says about the snake, she says, because one like she described, the white and light beige, fell from her head down her body and landed in front of her as if it was asking to come in the house. She was standing in the doorway to the outside and it came from above, but there was nowhere for it to have been sitting. Um, mm. it, may, it made sure it touched me from head to foot. I think I'd have freaked out a bit if it had done <laughs> that, to be honest. It's like, oh, where did that come from? But that sounds to have some 
real significance to it. It, it does, because snakes are all about transformation. They're, they're, they are about the kundalini awakening. So if, if, if it touched her from head to foot, then it's basically waking up the kundalini energy within her, and it's letting her know that in no uncertain tor- terms that she's going through massive transformation, you know, just like a snake sheds its skin, Basically, as you work through your processes of, of letting go of the old stuff that holds us back and changing your mindset and doing a lot of forgiveness work, you are transforming. And the snake is one of those, just like the butterfly, it will come in and it will show you that you're going through a very powerful transformation. Mm, yes. And she said um, the skin was actually feathers, which is rather that. bizarre. She <laughs> was, yeah, and she said, absolutely freaked out, ran through the house screaming. Well, I certainly don't blame you for that, Dolly. I think I'd, <laughs> I'd have done something the same, even though, you know, I like, um, as I said, I have no aversion to snakes at all. But if something like that happens, it kind of takes you by surprise. So, and it, she's saying it was several years ago now, so it's not not a recent thing. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, see, that's what I'm saying. I would freak, even though I'm I'm used to this stuff. I would freak out too because it's like, wait a minute, the snake that appeared in my apartment came from nowhere. It's like, how did it get here? Mm. My my cat just vanished out of an interior closet in my bedroom. How? <laughs> so, um, but that, you know, things like that happen when you <laughs> work with this kind of energy. Yeah, and, you know, I had a really uh, bizarre experience when I was on a Arabian horse ranch in in. Texas just outside Austin I was working with the the horses there doing a lot of remedial you know emotional remedial work with them and it the the place did have a lot of heavy dark energy about it but I actually had an experience of reliving the death in a previous life as a Native American with one of the horses and this was um really it was interpreted by a friend of mine who's very intuitive and I'd had this fall off the horse. So I was kind of relaxing and recovering, just having a lie down. It, I mean, I didn't hurt myself badly. It just shook me up and I thankfully had a, a helmet on, but so interesting. Um, a hawk feather was, was left. <laughs> was dis- My husband at the time found a hawk feather on the back porch when he came in which um you know i have a lot of connections with the eagle mm-hmm. um and there was some i can't quite remember this the 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 detail but in this message about the experience there was a reference to the hawk and it was like a confirmation message that this was actually um true what had happened and I had that confirmed actually by a another a friend who's who's an animal communicator in uh, Austin and she came and visited the horses and said that horse is Native American <laughs> and actually it was really bizarre because you know they were all purebred Arabians that had been bred 
at the ranch. But when you actually looked at her, the shape of the head and the long mane, and it was just, wow, that really does look Native American. So it was really quite an interesting experience. And I had lots of other um, animal-related experience well I say animal animal and bird related experience which I really must write write it all I keep saying I've got to write the book (laughs) so you know it's amazing when you tune in and and look for these signs how they present themselves to you and you know if you don't tune in you could just miss them completely absolutely the animal kingdom it's one of the um reasons I love working with with animals so much and I actually have a, a power animal uh, workshop that I teach because they are so fun to work with and the way they get the messages through I mean they will come a lot of times up in person if you don't get it you know when spirit is trying to give you information they will show up in person um, case in point right now we're dealing with some some geese at work and they just had babies so they're probably about probably about a month to maybe six weeks old and I hadn't been down to the pond visiting the geese lately I used to go every night after work and so they literally came up to my office window and looked in the window to see where I was at so that they could show me their babies and they was and I took a picture of them because I mean it was just so cool. And one of the girls in the office was like, "Oh my God, I got to take a picture! I got to take a picture!" And the goose looked at her and hissed at her and stuck his tongue out at her <laughs> because he wasn't there for her, for her. He he they were looking to see where I was because I hadn't been to the pond lately. Right. And so. so <laughs> So, you know, animals are funny when they, when you actually talk to them, they do respond to you. Mm, yes. And I absolutely love geese. We have a lot of, we have had a lot of geese here and I love the honking that they do. Uh-huh. It's just yeah. <laughs> beautiful. I mean, the other experience I had um, was, it was really significant at the time. I can't remember when it was. It was probably a couple of months ago, but I was walking my dog and, these two bald eagles came swooping in front of me and they were kind of doing that. Um, it was either play or fighting or whatever it was, the two of them. And they, it literally came right in front of me and they, they actually came around again, which was, you know, really unusual. <laughs> Let's put it that way, you know, to have that kind of display right uh-huh. in right in front of you like that so and and I've had other experiences where and I I know I'm connected with the eagle because I had a meditation before I even left the UK that was the eagle will always be with you and I was driving along um north of Durango and literally a golden eagle was at the side of the road and flew up right in front just as I was passing. So I just love these signals that we get, Mm -hmm. these messages that we get from the animals. You know, I've always had um, such a real connection with animals and nature. I absolutely love it. You know, the energy of nature is just wonderful. And I couldn't even imagine living in a city. It would just (laughs) kill my soul, I think. (laughs) 
But yeah, that's true. And where you're at, it, it's very na- there's a lot of nature around where you live. So mm. yes, yeah, and I just love seeing it. I had a squirrel run in front of me on a walk the other morning and it had been it was running away from my dog Keisha she's a great hunter and she was looking everywhere for this squirrel it had run off and just came right in front of me on the path so because yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my my main main power animal is the bear is the bear uh she's right. she's a She's a big Kodiak bear, and so when she shows up to teach me something, it's like I listen. I've learned the hard way, but even even when I I think it was when I was heading to Pagosa Springs the last time I was in Colorado, I was heading home, and luckily I had a friend with me because she spotted the bear before I did, and this he was such a huge bear that walked just right out in front of my car, I would have hit him if she hadn't said, stop. <laughs> wow. Because the Kodiak is a, is, a, a, um, is a grizzly, isn't it? Yeah, the Kodiak is a type of, yeah. I, I've never seen a, a, a Kodiak in person, but the one that walked out in front of me in Pagosa was a huge black bear. Right. But, uh, and... You know, he was big enough that he would have taken out the pretty much my whole car if I would have hit him. Mm. And, and But that's how in your face they can get. I mean, I've had coyotes do the same thing. They'll show up when I was in Phoenix. They would show up to let me know something wasn't right. And I had one big one show up one day, and I he was so big he almost looked like a German shepherd. And I, and I was far enough away, I was like, is that a dog or is that a coyote? And the, he literally stopped, turned around, and gave me the most scathing look a, a, an animal could give you. And he's like, seriously, do I look like a dog? And I was like, oh, if you don't, then. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, I mean, I had a really interesting, weird experience um, one day. And, I, you know, I'm still living in a travel trailer because I'm still kind of on the road, as it were, nomadic feeling about things. And I was working one day and I looked out of the window at the front and I had to do a double take because what's that over there? And it was a moose. And the moose, in fact, it came through the park the following day as well. But the moose, you know, got out of the trailer, went off to try and get a photograph. And I did get one in the distance. But this moose had just walked through. And, I mean, it's really unusual to see a moose here. You know, I've seen them up in Wyoming and what have you, but you don't tend to see them that much in southern Colorado. So that was a real experience as well. And And, um, and it's one one to take to heart because the moose does not show up to just anybody. I've actually had one show up with me. They, you, you know, people, you, when they go looking to see who their totem animals are, moose usually is not one um, that you pick. They come to you and they will let you know that they are ready and willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact that it came to you, take it to heart because that, that's very powerful medicine. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is a couple of years. Was it a couple of years ago? Yeah, it's not recent. Uh, maybe it was last year. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, I will um, I will take that to heart and I'll 
definitely look that one up again. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the moose is, let me see, because I have some cards here right in front of me, but I want to, I'm not sure if I have the It's interesting because I I sent a gift to my granddaughter for her birthday and I I went down to the Sky, the the Southern Ute uh, Information Centre. I wanted to send her something that was, you know, she wouldn't get in England because she's, you know, in the UK. And I actually picked out a a cuddly toy for her and it happened to be a moose. So, (laughs) Ah, okay. Good. So uh, anyway, while you're looking for that card, um, would you like to just share with our listeners how they can contact you? Because we're coming close to the top of the hour when we have a little musical break. So before we we break and um, come back, let them know how they can get hold of you. My um, I can my website is um, spirit. It's what is it? The HTTP, uh, whatever that thing is. Yeah, the um, www.spiritual-shaman.com. Um, or, of course, I can be found on Facebook. I, I have my Contemporary Native Healing uh, page on Facebook. Uh, I, I think you can get to it just I'm sure by, if put, you, just if by you putting search, that yeah. in. Yeah, and... Um, Plus, I'm also, you know, you can find me under just Elena Skyhawk. Uh, and I can be emailed through or contacted through any of those spots. And I think that my business page on uh, Facebook, I think, even lists my phone number. So um, you can okay. always call that and leave a message. And I usually try to get back to people within a day. Lovely, that's great. And we will share all these um, links in the description of the recording so um, people will be able to get there. And I'll even share it in the chat so that we've got that there. So it's now top of the hour and I'm really loving this conversation, (laughs) Elena. So I'm going to just hand back to Nancy for a quick musical interlude and uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you, Nancy, and welcome back to the Cosmic Creating Show. It's Jan Moore, the Success Alchemist at thesuccessalchemist.net. And I have with me today the lovely lady, Elena Skyhawk, and we're having some lovely conversations about animal totems and animal signs and nature and and trees and stones and rocks and all sorts of things. I'm really enjoying this, Elena. It's interesting how the conversation just goes where it wants to. (laughs) So you're back with us, Elena. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to find find the my shaman's touch book because I was like, it was bugging me on what the name of that um, school was. Right. <laughs> oh well, maybe it'll come <laughs> back to you. <laughs> the more like, you try and remember it, the the further it pushes away. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. It's like, come on. <laughs> so, anyway, well, it's, not to worry. Well, what um, at what point did you do your metaphysical training? Because you got your doctorate from Sedona. What what point in your life was was that? Was it after the the shamanic training with Serge, or 
What yeah, he, he he passed away in um, 2008, and to me, I felt like you know I had a lot of you know the shamanic teachings, and you know I was being guided by spirit on a lot of things, and a lot of information came that way. But part of me felt like it wasn't enough, and I wanted to get a, a more rounded education besides just the path of the shaman. Um, I found that I've been a shaman many, 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 many lifetimes. And it was like, well, let's take it even deeper because I teach more than just shamanic practices. So um, I, I can't say it was a fluke that I found the University of Metaphysics and in, in the International Metaphysical Society. Um, it came up in a search one day and I was like, huh, let's check it out, you know, check it out and start joining. And so I, um, I noticed they had a, a doctoral program and I applied to get a, um, a scholarship and they, I actually got one. So it was like, it made it a, a little more affordable to be able to go. And Obviously meant to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, because the price of it itself, if I would have had to pay for it after I was still trying to pay for my other student loans, I was like, okay, I can't do this. Um, so I started and I think it was in 2007. So I had already started before Serge actually passed away because he passed away in 2008. And he encouraged it. You know, he's like, it, again, it, it helps to, you know, round out your... Um, your education because it's not all just shamanic in nature what we do so yes I had the Reiki I was already a Reiki master teacher I was already the Laho Chi practitioner teacher and yet I still wanted to know more because for me dreams were very important um, I've been a very avid dreamer my whole life and, and I get a lot of information in my dreams and I actually teach dream workshops and teach people how to start interpreting them. And I still, you know, it's just, I knew there was something else out there. So that I knew it was like, you know, yes, there's spirit guides, yes, there's power animals. But what is metaphysics? I mean, everybody was talking, you know, metaphysics. It was starting to switch from calling people psychic or, oh, you're a psychic. And, and it was like realizing, well, every one of us on this planet are psychic. So it's just whether we choose to use the information that we're born with or given. And so I turned more toward tapping into what metaphysics is, how does it play a role in our life, um, and it was intriguing to me because metaphysics, of course, not only is the study of, you know, the spiritual realm, which is what most people think, or they call it woo-woo stuff, you know. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> or that's what they think of you anyway. But so I, I was just kind of curious. So I kind of looked it up, and it's like 
so you know metaphysics is is about you're talking about um, meta which means is you know the meaning over and beyond and then you're talking about physics so you're talking about things that go above and beyond what is con you know known so you're you're really pulling in the higher self you're pulling in the soul it, and it goes way beyond philosophy or anything like that and I was really drawn more to it because as as an infant shortly after my parents got me I because I was born with a severe you know with most of my brain missing there was a lot of damage done because I was premature and and a lot and my brain never finished developing so I went into a coma and the doctors had told them that I would never come out of it and if the chances were like one in a hundred that I did I would be a vegetable for the rest of my life so they you know encouraged my parents to um, have a minister come in and have me baptized because I probably wasn't gonna make it and if I did come, you know, ever come out of the coma, I would be a vegetable for the rest of my life. And so they they did. They brought in a minister to the hospital and had me baptized in the hospital. And the next day, when the nurses came to check on me, I was wide awake. And unless you know what to look for, you don't know that there's been any damage done. Wow. And it always fascinated me, and it, it just, and it, of course, even nowadays, the doctors kind of like, the last time I had an MRI, they were like, you do know you're not supposed to be alive, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it really delved, it really tapped me into that spiritual side, because it really connected me to that I am presence, and I just had to get through a bunch of junk you know, that was dished on me as a child to get through it so that I could get to a point where I could tap back into it. I was like, okay, we're going to find out who I really am. And I don't mean on a, um, a physical scale. I mean, who am I really? Mm. You know, it's... It's an interesting story, actually. It reminds me of um, what I read in the book, The Holographic Universe by Michael Tolbert. It's a really really fascinating book because it it's it the first half of the book is kind of the science of it the quantum physics of it in terms of you know a hologram has the whole even within a, a part of it and there was a story in there about someone who had a certain area of the brain damaged who shouldn't have then retain the memory of certain things and he actually was able to remember things that according to the physical damage he shouldn't have been able to recall and it kind of um, underscored this concept of we have every every part of the whole <laughs> is within a small part of us and uh the book actually goes on in the second half to give lots of anecdotal evidence of this and the 
you know, a lot of the metaphysical experiences that people have. But, you know, it, it kind of reminds, it brings to mind the question of where is consciousness? You know, is is it in the brain or is it is it not necessarily connected to the physical, if that makes sense? <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually does because, you know, again... If you looked at a, a scan of my brain, my my left brain pretty much isn't there. I mean, it's just a big blob of nothing. And the right side of the, because we each have two hemispheres of your brain, and my my left side overgrew, and by doing that, it cut off the bottom half of the right side of my, that right lobe. So when you look at my scan, everything that I do comes out of the frontal section on the right side of my brain. And the doctors are like, this is impossible. I mean, it's, it literally is a medical miracle to them because they've never seen such a thing. Mm. But I, I attribute it to being, to my parents actually having me baptized because it put me into direct um, contact with that Christ consciousness. It really connected the soul into the physical body to make it function. Um, it's one of one of the reasons why I, I kind of left the the corporate world back in '99 because I was starting to have seizure, really bad seizures again, and it was because of the stress. The stress it, when it gets too much for the physical body, it starts kind of shorting out. And so when I turn more to the, the psychic and the metaphysical field, the migraines went away, the seizures went away. Yeah, I think it was a message that you were in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. <laughs> exactly. And it, you only have to kick me five times when I'm down before I finally get it. Yeah, the two by four around the back of the head. I think many yeah. of us have experienced that. Yeah. And obviously, as, as Dolly in the chat says, you were obviously meant to be here and helping people. So, exactly. um, so that leads me into the question of, you know, you mentioned about power animal workshops and, and your Reiki master. What kind of work do you do with with people? What are the what are the ways in which you work with people? Let's just get some of that info out. Well, right now, um, because I'm living in a state that is not really open right now to too much to metaphysics. <laughs> so, Where are you, Elena? Right now, I'm actually in Oklahoma. Oh, interesting. Because I have another friend who does past life regression and she's in a similar situation she's not in a place that seems to be very open which is probably why you're there maybe you're there to put that energy into that area uh, well mother mary told me i well uh, i had originally moved closer because i was in arizona for 17 years on and off and you know, back and forth I, a couple times in colorado and a little, you know, a couple times up in South Dakota because I would go back up to the Black Hills to re rejuvenate and regenerate my energy. But I always went back to Arizona. And then as my mom started getting older, I was like, no, oh, I need to start moving a little closer, but I didn't want to be in the same state with them because <laughs> I was like, you know, kind of keep them at arm's length. <laughs> Too close for comfort. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, you know, I love you guys on some level, but I, I still remember everything you did to me, so no thanks. I don't want to get too close. But she she ended up passing away um, 
a year and a half ago. And so then I was like, well, why do I still have to move? <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute. And Mother Mary kept insisting that I needed to come to the southern end of the, because I'm in the, you know, southern part of the Tulsa area. And I was like, why? And she's like, your energy is needed in the heartland. I mean, that's all she would say. And I was like, okay, fine. And so I've been here a year, but I know it's it's going to be it's time to start shifting and uh, within the next month or so. But it's like I have a temp job right now working at a brain institute. (laughs) So Ah. so it's like (laughs) I'm teaching them a lot and I'm learning a lot from them because it's it's brought up a lot of um, stuff for me to be able to teach them because there are social workers that work there and there's um, therapists that work there that work with these people that come in that uh, are dealing with depression. They're dealing with agoraphobia. Uh, They're dealing with drug issues and alcohol issues and PTSD. And from, of course, if when you're sexually abused and physically abused as a child, you actually do suffer from PTSD. And then I was... a sexually assaulted eight years ago and still working on healing from that. So it's, I've learned so much from being there over the last few months. And yet I'm teaching them a lot also on how they can come, come at it, you know, from a different perspective because they, they're looking at it left brain. What, what are we supposed to do to, to fix these people? And I'm like, it's not about fixing anybody because you can't. So they're coming at it more from a victim mentality. I mean, I always, you know, focus on what's the higher purpose of this? Exactly. What is, and and what's the higher purpose of you having these experiences and then being in the environment that you're in now? (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So it's, 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 I, it's giving me an option, even though it's not part of what I would have, you know, thought again, but that again, that's coming from the ego well, this isn't what I signed up for. But again, you know, the whole the whole idea of when we come down here to do our spiritual work, if we can help just one person, and it doesn't matter that we know that we help them, if we can help one person overcome whatever their fear is or heal, help them heal, then we have made our life on this planet. Mm. Uh, you know we have justified being here that's a beautiful message actually and it you know interesting how we have these experiences so that the people that need that specific help can come to somebody who has the empathy and the experience of it themselves i've found that myself with clients that come to me how you know it's not obviously it's not an identical experience but um you know i often work with people who have suffered from depression and i have i suffered from postnatal depression for a year after my first daughter and i find you know they've got similar experiences growing up and i think we we draw towards us those people that need somebody who understands what it's like to experience that. Exactly. And, and you don't know. I mean, 
I've, I found, and that's one of the reasons why I like kind of doing the temp, temp work on the side, not only to keep a roof over my head in between clients, but when somebody puts out a call to the universe that they need help, I always found that I was the one who got the assignment, and I was just exactly what that person had put the call out there for. They were like, oh, my God, I just, I just asked Spirit last week for somebody like you, and here you are. Mm, yes, and I'm I'm certain that um, you know my experiences with horses has been significant. Interestingly, you know I, my Andalusian that was the life changer <laughs> sent from from heaven, um, you know, literally delivered to my doorstep. He he suffered PTSD from his early experiences and. I had to work with him on his emotional rehabilitation, overcoming his fear. And, you know, he was, he got to the point of being, from the words of the horse whisperer who came out to to help me understand this lovely animal, he said, this horse is so dangerous, he's going to kill you, kill himself or kill both of you. And that experience of, actually deciding to take on his rehabilitation was just so incredible in terms of teaching me about energy, about fear, about manifestation, all sorts of things. And then to have gone on to this Arabian horse ranch, I was again dealing with um, not all of them in a state of PTSD, but two horses in particular, one of them had been sent away to be broken to a cowboy place. And he gave me this vision of having his head tied to his hind leg, which I was told afterwards by my uh, horse chiropractor that that is how often they'll, they'll treat the horse to break its spirit. And I didn't know that at the time, so it kind of validated the communication I was getting. And he would just, some sometimes he would just flip. It was like something triggered. And it was quite challenging to be on his back at the time because he'd start bucking and twisting. And, you know, I learned that I had to focus on being calm, focusing on the outcome that I wanted, which was not ending up on the floor. Um <laughs> You know, and another of the horses there, he would just stalwart constantly, really under stress in the environment that he'd been in uh, because the treatment that he was getting from the previous people that were there taking care of the horses was horrendous. So I I know I had a, a, a definite role there in terms of, giving these horses the first experience of real love and and compassion and attention and treating them like the spiritual beings they are, not just kind of meat on legs, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a crude way of putting it, but that's what a lot of people see them as. And they, they you know, even when I was growing up, you know, my parents were, we had dogs growing up and this something would happen there, you know, it was just like, well, it's just a dog. And I'm like, it's a dog that feels, it's a dog that talks because I can hear him talking. So I know that there's more, more than just, it's a dog. And I've run into that a, a lot with 
with a lot of people where they look at animals as throwaway. Inferior. Yeah, and and sometimes I'm like, who really is the inferior? Who's 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 the one that's not quite awake yet? Because the animals are very awake and they're very in tune with their surroundings and with that spiritual power. And you know, they do have a conscience. They do have a spiritual side to them, and we have to treat them that way. Mm, absolutely. And I've just finished reading a wonderful book, which uh, I can't even remember the title of it now. Um, something like They Walk Beside Us. It's by a lady called Sandra Mendelssohn. And she's actually going to be on my show in a few weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. And she has become a communicator um, of the spiritual messages from animals that are here to instruct us in our evolution, which to me makes absolute sense. You know, just because animals can't talk in our language doesn't make them inferior. And in fact, a lot of the time, our language gets in the way of our intuition, whereas, you know, they operate so intuitively. Um, they they they're superior in a way because they don't need the language to communicate. I mean, it's like you look at a, a, you know, a flock of birds moving in absolute synchronicity and you think, wow, you know, even, you know, the geese back to the geese, you know, there's this whole cooperative um, communication between them. You know, one will, one will take the lead and then that one will drop back and another one will come into the lead and so on. It's just fascinating to me. And yeah. I just um, love to see that um, cooperation and collaboration, which, you know, we need more of it in the human race. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. It, it's uh, it. It's some some things I've brought up to spirit several times because I I get so frustrated with human behavior, and it was several years ago I was talking to a spirit about it because it was something was really frustrating me and and it had to do with race and it had to do with the color of people's skin and and I'm like what is it with people that you know white people don't like these other people and why we get called names and, and stuff like that. And what, you know, we all bleed the same color. So, you know, we're, it's one tribe, one nation, one race. It's the human race. And spirit, spirit came in and gave me such a funny um, answer to it. And, and I shared it with a, a psychic friend of mine and, oh my God, she just loved it and shared it, started sharing it with, her classes, but what Spirit told me was that God was playing with his paints one one day, and they had and he had a palette in front of him with different colors on it, and he had these forms that he was you know kind of trying to make into people, and he tripped, and the colors on the palette splashed onto the forms, and they just happened to be red, yellow, black, and white. And he said, so if he would have had other colors on it, on his palette, he said, you could have ended up orange, pink, purple, (laughs) or green. He goes, so be thankful that he had the colors that he did have on there. (laughs) And I was like, wow. I'm like, 
that's a funny way of looking at it, but it's so true. And it's so ironic. What came to mind was how how many white people actually want to get a tan exactly. and turn brown. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, it's like you call, you know, just like they call Indians red pe- red men. And I'm like, well, gee, my skin is brown, not red. Mm. So why are we even the red race? But yeah. that was that was spirits answer you know he said and 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 because then they tapped in and there after they gave those colors he goes and for all you know you could have ended up polka dot so could you imagine what you'd look like (laughs) if you were polka dotted you know and i was like oh my god what a funny way to to teach that it isn't about the color of anybody's skin no absolutely it really isn't and i grew up you know with my my mother and my stepfather, they they were very prejudiced. I mean, I was growing up in the UK and it was around the time of, there was a huge influx of um, Asians, in mm-hmm. Indians uh, from India and Pakistan. And, you know, I was um, in my teens, I was... Uh, you know, at school or at college with with Indians. And and in fact, one of the people in my class was actually had come from Uganda, you know, when there was the the um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the the dictator that actually was um, oh, it was a horrific time. And and there were the Ugandan Asians actually had to flee the country to escape this regime. And he was just a lovely guy and and I kind of fell for him and yet and and there was another um guy that I dated uh for a short time but the 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 prejudice of my parents was so extreme you know they couldn't even they couldn't entertain at all the possibility of me being you know involved with somebody of a different color and exactly. to me it didn't just didn't matter you know it, it never did my my stepfather had actually um served during the world war Two in burma and in india and you know the indians were seen to be an inferior race and mm-hmm. and that that prejudice came home with him, which to me is so sad. You know, I look at people at face value, not at what color they are or where they come from. It's, you know, are you a conscious person? <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's that's the criteria for me. Right. And yeah, because when I was growing up, and that's why I thought it was always so funny that they would adopt people, you know, that had different color skin because my my dad's father was extremely prejudiced. Um, he, you know, those little lantern boys that they used to put out in the yards that hold the little lanterns, and they, you know, they were black statues with the, can't remember what they were dressed, but they would put them in the yards holding lanterns. And he actually painted it white because he wasn't going to have the N word, you know, in his yard. Mm. And, and even my parents, they used to, when I was a kid, they would call me either half-breed or they would use the N-word with me, too, because in the summertime, my skin gets really, really, really dark. And my mom would always say, well, how do we know you're not an, you know, the N-word and not Indian? You know, and it's like, good God, why would you even want to adopt some? Mm. 
you know, why would you want somebody in the, you know, your life that, and then treat them that way, you know, and that's why I ended up getting a big chip on my shoulder. And that's why Serge kind of knocked it off when he was like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, there must be, to me, there must be that higher purpose there because it's, it, doesn't make logical sense so it had to make spiritual sense exactly because my response my response was when he said did you ever stop to think that you were there to teach the lesson and I said well they didn't get it then and he goes that's not for you to determine you were Mm. just there to teach the lesson whether they get it or not that's up to their own soul yeah absolutely and I mean I've been in that position as well with different relationships where you know I can look back and see the the purpose for me in those and the the experience that I got and the growth that I got as a result and I also see the missed opportunity of the other person Mm -hmm. in that relationship that you know through my growth and my discovery and my study I've been able to offer the opportunity for for that growth but if if they're not ready or open or um haven't been stimulated to want that kind of growth then that's their choice and there's nothing we can do about it exactly yeah and Uh, it's one thing i've been taught and one of the things i'm i'm still learning it it makes no difference and it's none of our business what people say about us or what they think about us even including ourselves, as long as we are here reaching our highest level of, of spirituality and growth that we know we are here to do, it, that's all that matters. So the rest of it, it's, you know, and it's something I'm still learning. It's, it's time to just let it go because the only person we're actually hurting is ourself. If you're mm. mad at if you're mad at somebody or you're angry at somebody or you hate somebody, they could care less because it's not affecting them, but it is affecting your energy. Absolutely. And, you know, this practice that I've really committed to over the last, well, quite several years actually is, you know, really looking even in very challenging circumstances, there's a gift here. There's a, you know, there's something here that is for my benefit and when you look at things from that perspective, it it's a, puts a whole different light on, on the situation. And, you know, learning to be grateful for everything you experience because, you know, you might not know what the, what the purpose is at the time, mm-hmm. but, but if you're looking for it, the answer will come. You know, I after when I had to have my horse put to sleep, you know, I, I had to leave him in England um, when I came over here and always wanted to get him over here to be with me because we'd had such a bond between us. And I was really focused on manifesting this horse to get on an aeroplane and travel right across <laughs> not only just the Atlantic but across the U.S. to be with uh-huh. me. And... Um, that was when I got the call to say he'd got colic and peritonitis. And, you know, one of the things I was grateful for was the ability to deal with that situation in a very conscious way. And and there was even an element of, of joy in the ability to do that. And, you know, I looked, even though I was so distressed about losing him, 
I looked, what's the gift here? And I realized that the only way he could be with me was in spirit because he was so sensitive and still very volatile even after all the time I spent, you know, helping him heal from all this fear. There was no way he would have survived that journey. So I actually did manifest him being with me, just not in the physical. Right, not in the form that you expected to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, did you ever ask your parents why they adopted you, considering you were not white and, and they had this prejudice? Well, I asked, I really asked because I wanted to get to the bottom of things, when I, especially when my mom told me she hated kids. And I was like, then why in the world would you adopt kids if you hate them, you know? And mm. and she was like, because your dad wanted kids. And I'm like, why? I'm like, you had you had already adopted a boy that you were already abusing. Why would you adopt more? And and I think that was was a lot of it. My my dad literally was an alcoholic, and he was very. Um, very a mean one <laughs> it wasn't very nice and I know he abused my mom also because I do have memories of her going flying across the room and crashing into dressers and stuff like that so part of it I think was that he wanted kids around to abuse them so he actually wanted victims basically yeah mm-hmm. mm. and unfortunately my older brother remembered everything that was done to us and it affected him. He turned out just like my dad did. He was a very violent drunk, and um, he's no longer with us. He, it'll be about six years since he passed away. But his life turned out so messed up because of you know my dad. And me, I actually, in order for my soul to survive what was being done to us, I broke off many, many, many soul pieces. And, of course, a lot of what happened to us went with those soul pieces. So when I started working with Serge and he kept saying, why can't you remember this? Why can't you remember that? You should be, you were old enough, you should be able to remember that age. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. Because he could see the energy of me being beaten still and kicked and everything else on in my auric field. So when he started working with me on that, we started bringing in the soul pieces and there were so many that had broken off Mm. just, just to survive the childhood. And, um, and when I, when I finally started bringing them back is when I finally got stronger and really realized, wait a minute, I'm here to help others recover from any abusive situation that they went through and give them their life back. Yes, absolutely. It comes back to what we were talking earlier about having had the experience, you can understand it from their point of view. And, you know, on, on previous shows and with, you know, also with, with people that I've worked with, maybe only briefly in this case, but it's very hard for people to understand that, they actually have chosen these situations in order to, you know, to play a role 
in order for this, this is of significance to them in terms of what they've come into this lifetime to achieve. Um, and it, it's a big step, actually, to move from that victim mentality into one of purpose. And, you know, I have not had anything like the experience that you've had and others have had. But even in my experience, I've, I've changed the perspective on my childhood growing up because I now see that there was a purpose behind it related to my sole mission to, you know, of um, disempowerment, of scarcity, of lack, of abandonment, these kinds of things, that once we shift the the perception and the energy around those and recognize the value of those experiences in who we are and what we're here to do, it, you know, you actually step into empowerment rather than the disempowerment of the, of the poor victim. Exactly. And, and that's part of why I'm writing the book of my life. I mean, I actually had Balboa Press reached out to me a few years ago and, and uh, wanted to know if I wanted their help in publishing my book. And I was like, uh, I didn't tell anybody I was writing a book. How did you guys know it? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute here. Um, and, and so it was kind of funny because they were already reaching out to me wanting the story of my life. And I'm like, but nobody even knows I'm writing it. <laughs> and, mm. and, um, and so this is I, the book, Transformational Awakening, A Shaman's Journey to Ascension. Yeah, tell us all about right. that. <laughs> well, it, it really basically is a story. And it, it's kind of being told in stories because there's just – so many funny ones and so many sad ones, you know, <laughs> and how, you know, where I came from, you know, some of the, the ways I was treated and what I did about it. And it basically the story of where, where I started as this infant that wasn't supposed to survive, that was sold and, st- you know, stolen and sold and has no idea where she really belongs or who she is to, you know, finding that foothold of the spiritual being that I am and that's who I am. And then talking about the steps that I took to start healing all the anger, the fear, the, you know, cause there's, there's two, two energies on this planet. There's love or there's, there's fear. Those are the mm-hmm. only two energies that are here. So if we're in a state of, of fear that, that can include anger, it can include hatred, dislike, prejudice. Those are all fears of some kind or another because if you didn't have them, we would be in a state of pure love. So it's about teaching people how they can start forgiving themselves, first of all, because if you don't love yourself and you can't forgive yourself, there's no way that you're going to be able to forgive anybody else in your life. And even my dad, when he passed away, um, I asked, literally, I asked Archangel Michael to help me put him in a lead box because I could feel the pure evil on him when he passed away. And they literally did it. They took him out, and I don't know what they did to him, but when he came back, he's been helping me ever since. And what we found out is he actually had an attachment on him because he was an alcoholic, and that's what happens. You have spirits that die. They don't cross over, and if they were you know, alcohol abusers or drug abusers, they find somebody to attach to. Mm. And 
that's what had happened with him. Something really dark attached to him, and it was that entity that it had attached to him that was doing all the the nasty things that were being done to us kids and to my mom. And once he passed away, and he he got to see because whenever someone dies, they have to experience everything that they went through. You know, so like if you hurt somebody. You have to experience it as if it's happening to you once you cross over so that you can understand what your actions and behavior did to that person because that's how you grow as a soul. So he had to experience everything he did to us kids. He had to experience it himself. And when he came back in, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, I am so, so, he goes, I know it's no excuse he goes, but I had no idea that this entity was working through me. He goes, now I see what I did. And he goes, I am so, so, so very sorry. Mm. And he, um, he's, what if, he's, what if, sorry, carry on. Oh, it's, it's just, you know, so he, he pops in every once in a while. Actually, he was in a dream this morning. <laughs> it was like, All right. oh, oh, hey, cool, you know. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, so they... Um, so that's where I get a lot of my information from is in the dream state. You know, I, I'm like this morning's dream. I still haven't decoded it yet, but it was so empowering. It was so interesting how we get information, even while we're sleeping, that we can then in turn bring into our waking life to help us. Mm. And what I was going to say was what, what role does karma have to play here in that kind of lifetime? So, you know, he experienced that in spirit after his passing. You know, there's a lot of theory that says, well, he has to come back in the physical and actually experience that himself as karma. Is that something that you feel is is what happens? Or Well, there's a – I've read both both I've seen it seen it both um, it depends on how evolved the soul is if he really truly did learn the lesson on the other side before he reincarnates he might not have to re-experience it other people will say oh no he hurt you and your and your brothers and your mom so he's going to have to come back and really experience really something nasty but that's not my belief is that might not necessarily be true if he actually learned the lesson and has grown from it while he's on the other side. Right. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, because that's it almost seems like retribution otherwise. If he's right. learned from it and gained from it in spirit, then it seems unjust to force him to experience it in the physical. Exactly. Because he, he has now apologized. He now knows why he did what he did. And I've forgiven him. So there is no karma that he has to come back and fix with me. There is and especially no as the entity was the influence rather exactly. than him choosing it to do it himself. Exactly. Yep. Mm. And the entity has been taken care of by the archangels. So... What they do with them, it's not my business. That's up to the, the you know, the hierarchy of angels. <laughs> mm. And I just hand them over to him, and to Archangel Michael, and I'm like, deal with it because he's your responsibility. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just going back to the, you know, the shamanism, um, one of the things that I've I've seen in, in some cases, um, you know, in terms of becoming a shaman is very often people have near-death experiences. Is that is that common in terms of people becoming a shaman? Is it necessary or is it just in certain circumstances that that has to happen? No, that the the initiation into the shaman to to you know like I said I every lifetime that I've seen I that's what I am it's what the soul is and keeps for some silly reason keeps choosing to come back. <laughs> you still got work to do. <laughs> But each time we come back with the energy of the shaman, we still have to go through that near-death experience, which I did at birth. And there's been a right. few, few in between. Um, I've also experienced, I also had to experience a four elements initiation. And um, when I had told, Serge was still around when that happened, and I told him about it, and he goes, Oh, he goes, man, he goes, you got it on the first try. He goes, it took me four tries before I finally passed that initiation. And I was like, oh, oh, thank God I only had to do it once. <laughs> so what was that exactly? What they what they did to it, it, and I love how spirit works because, of course, if they tell you ahead of time what they're going to do to you. You'd you, never you do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because I would have said, heck no. But they had asked me, I was living in Fountain Hills at the time, and there's a, a mountain out there called Four Peaks. And they had asked me to take a friend with me um, to take, you know, so that she was there to, like, take pictures and, and um, account for what was going to happen. And I was like, whatever, you know. And we left, and it, it was nice and, you know, kind of sunny out. And we got to, uh, to the mountain, and started walking up, and all of a sudden, the wind just picked up like crazy. I mean, we're talking like 60, 70 mile an hour wind gusts. And then it started pouring. And I was like, seriously? And I was like, okay, I think we need to turn around and go back. And and my guides kept saying, no, you need to keep going forward. So I looked at my friend. I said, why don't you ask your guides? I said, because if they give a say yes, we're, we're I don't care what mine say. We're going back. And her guide was Isis, and so she tapped into Isis and asked Isis what we were supposed to do, and Isis says, you need to keep going up the, up the mountain. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't <laughs> think so. So we started, so I, I wrapped my friend up in the blanket because, you yeah, know, we were in shorts and, and T-shirts, and it was, that rain was kind of chilly. So I wrapped her up in a blanket, and I got my umbrella out and we started walking up more up the mountain. Of course, the wind gusts were so high, it turned the umbrella inside out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, so much for that. And I kept saying, Spirit, are you sure? Can't we go down? And then the hail started. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. I was like, seriously? So, but they said, no, keep going, keep going. And so we kept going higher up the mountain, got almost up to the top and Spirit said you know very loud and clear said push her aside jump now and i did and right where we had been standing lightning struck oh and when i looked at my friend to make sure she was okay i was like i looked around i'm like whoa where the hell did she go 
Because <laughs> I was like, where is she? She was on the ground, under the blanket, huddled there, scared to death. And there was a perfect circle of light all the way around her. And I reached up to the heavens and I literally said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I said, now, can can you bring some angel wings in and get us the hell off of this mountain? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we, it took us two and a half hours to walk up the mountain. It took us 20 minutes to get down. We literally, literally had angel wings. I mean, it's like we jump, we're jumping over big potholes of water. And we're talking a trail that if you, one misstep, you would have gone off the side of the mountain. Wow. Yet we... We were jumping over this. I mean, it, and we were down in 20 minutes and got in the car and started heading out. And when I stopped to turn around to look at the mountain, you couldn't even see it. The clouds, black clouds had come down so far over that mountain and the lightning was just hitting the mountain. And so we we drove home and the next day, I Serge called me and he said, so what what you do over the weekend? And I said... <laughs> I said, oh, oh, we went up to, you know, Fort, because it was still kind of sprinkling out on on that Monday. And I said, oh, we went up to Four Peaks yesterday. And he goes in weather like this. And I said, oh, hell no. It was so much worse. And then I told him what had happened. And, oh, my God, he started laughing. He goes, oh, so they put you through the Four Elements initiation. And he goes, and you passed. And when I told the story at our next a full moon meditation that we did, everybody was clamoring to pay me to take them on an excursion like that. And I said, are you nuts? We could have died. <laughs> died up there. And so presumably like, passing the initiation was because she listened and didn't turn back. Exactly. Yep. Mm. I allowed myself and unfortunately, but my friend told me, she goes, I am never going hiking with you ever again. <laughs> I must say, I can't blame her. <laughs> and I said, I, yeah, I couldn't either because I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe. And she, she goes, why did I have to go through that? And I said, obviously, because somebody had to corroborate the story. Mm. Because be a witness. To be a witness to what happened, yeah. Mm. But she would never go hiking with me after that. <laughs> I, I tried. <laughs> she, <laughs> she would not go. <laughs> but that's what, but that's what spirit will do to a, especially someone who's on the who is a shaman and who needs to move up energetically because you keep being tested and the tests are not easy. And I think that's true of all of us, even those of us who haven't necessarily become a shaman. That um, you know we're. I always call them evolutionary catalysts, these challenges, and that mm -hmm. if you approach them from the point of view of this is for my benefit, for my growth, um, you know, it's a very different. You, you're able to get through the lesson so much quicker than if you resist it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, Serge had told me, because I said, what the hell, why, why couldn't they have told me what they were going to do? And he and he said he would you have gone? I was like hell no, <laughs> no absolutely. And, and you sense. know, I I really believe that 
we're tested on it's a bit like school you know you're taught mm -hmm. something or you learn something and then you're tested to see whether you've actually embodied that whether you're yeah. actually living it that's mm -hmm. how I look at it and you know it's interesting to see people that claim to know this and yet when they're tested on it they they they're not they don't pass the test because it's just in the mind it's not in their behavior and how they're living right and that's that's what the red road is all about it, it literally is you need to walk your talk mm. absolutely so we're getting close to the end of the show would you believe <laughs> <laughs> it's just been so much fun I must say so rather than run out of time and have to have you rush it just share your contact details ago when you Eleanor okay Elena um, sorry Elena. <laughs> that's okay again I've, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways but that's the way I was I was taught how it was pronounced <laughs> and Elena actually means the light so uh, which I thought was very interesting mm. um that's the, the meaning of the name Elena. Um, so I can be contacted um, at my um, through my website, spiritual-shaman.com, and also on Facebook under Contemporary Native Healing, or just under Elena Skyhawk, because you can get to my, both my, I, I actually have two business Facebook pages, because I also make, um, jewelry and medicine bags and smudge fans and stuff like that. So both both the business pages can be accessed through the my personal web page. I'm also on YouTube. Uh, that's got a funky address because I don't have enough subscribers yet. But uh, <laughs> so um, and I'm on Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter also. So um, you know, all you have to do literally, I I actually. Uh, somebody suggested, I think it was the marketing person last year, suggested I Googled myself. She's like, when's the last time you Googled yourself? I said, who Googles themselves? <laughs> and, and People goes, do, believe me. <laughs> yeah, and she goes, try it and see what happens. And I did, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> so obviously my marketing works. So, um, And the other news I have is the book that I uh, was a co-author in, that just came out on May 9th called Unscripted, How Women Thrive in Life, Business, and uh, Relationships, actually made it to number one as an oh, Amazon excellent. bestseller. Yeah, so that was a really cool experience for me. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that I'm doing and going, but it's very easy to find me. Just put in Elena Skyhawk on, the, on Google and I've, I seem to show up everywhere. Okay, that's great. Well, we're actually at the top of the hour now, Elena. And um, I really want to thank you for being such a great guest. And you've, we've had such lovely conversations. And I know even Dolly has said she's thoroughly enjoyed the last couple of hours. So that's good. We've entertained the listeners. So thank you so much. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you for listening in. And my name is Jan Moore, the Success Alchemist. Find me at thesuccessalchemist.net. And I hope you'll be with me next week for another wonderful guest. And thank you, Nancy, as always, for producing. So over to you. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jay Moore.
a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper.